Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. For 25 years, Seth Lightman has seen it all. From the newest electric car revolution, solar power, bike lanes made in NYC. And now we are here. More electric cars, need for more renewables and eco-friendly products in our world. Well, now it's time for an all-out podcast for this time. You're listening to The Green Living Guy Show. He's funny, real, exactly on point. And some think his style is so raw, it's crazy. Let's do this, folks. It's time for The Green Living Guy Show with Seth Lightman. Everybody, welcome to The Green Living Guy Show. I'm here with good old friend Josh Fox. Last time we talked was at the Environmental Media Association back in 2010. Uh, when he was doing a movie called Gasland, and now he's on to another project, and we got into it about the Ecuadorian, the Peruvian, and the Brazilian rainforest. But you were it literally locked in Peru due to the constant struggle that goes on, but you were explaining this in your great Rolling Stone article. So I'd like you to just explain a little bit about what's going on in the area of the rainforest that you went to sure focus on that and then what the politics are and what's continually happening and if you could tie it to that piece that we met where i was interested in doing this was that national geographic piece that movie that we saw each other at at central park oh the territory uh, which also sure. talks about the rainforest so like i just want to know where you know territory sure, sure. where everything is thank well, you well First of all, thanks for having me on, uh, Seth, and, and thank you for doing the work that you're doing on the environment. I mean, obviously, I think the working on the environment and working on issues related to how we conserve natural ecosystems, not just the idea of climate change, but also how we preserve forests and how we preserve you know, ecosystems that need to be intact for us to survive is the most important thing. So thank you for focusing on that. You know, the EMA Awards back in 2010 were great. Gasland yeah, won yeah. Best Documentary. Gasland 2 won Best Documentary at the EMA Awards, and so did How to Let Go of the Worlds. We got it three times in a row. It was a wonderful event, a wonderful award. But so, yeah, well, I'm making a new film right now for HBO about climate refugees and about people who are being forced to move or forced to migrate because of climate change in so many different ways. And so I yeah. was down in Peru working with the Atuar tribe, who are an incredible group of people the Atuar tribe is in a place called Loreto. Loreto is a lot of different tribes are in that area, but it's really the headwaters of the Amazon River. They live along the Pastaza River, which is one of the tributaries to the headwaters of the, of the Amazon. Amazon, the longest river in the world. The next longest eight rivers in the world are all tributaries to the Amazon. So it's like, it's an extraordinary place. And it is a place of incredible natural beauty and biodiversity. Also, just the feeling of life, the feeling of oxygen that you get when you're there is just absolutely astounding. And I was there in 2014, not far away from my film, How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change, uh, for a massive oil spill that was happening in the Kuniniko area. I was not so far from there 
for this because we were working with the Atuar tribe to help them tell the tale of how they're trying to fight the oil industry off. Now, the Peruvian big oil company, the state oil company, which is called Petro Peru, wants to not just transport oil through the Amazon, which is they have a big pipeline that's going through the Amazon, which right. is what that's creates all these spills. Motor top right. yeah, yeah, but they want to drill now. And they're trying to get yep. financing right. to actually expand drilling in the Amazon. At this moment of climate change, at this moment where we know we have to preserve the, the Amazon, the lungs of the world, the oil industry doesn't care. And the government of Peru has often been facilitating that process. The Atuar tribe, however, has been there for 7,000 years, preserving that rainforest, vastly predating the government of Peru, vastly predating Columbus, yep. for example. So 7,000 years, put that in perspective, yeah, to put 7,000 years into perspective, that's 5,000 <laughs> yeah. B.C. You know, that's uh, a long time ago. So when we think biblical, about the actual, biblical times, yes. Yeah, or yeah. way before that, even Greek. Yeah. Anyway, right. So the point is that they have a way of life that they are trying to preserve. And that way of life is one where they live in balance with the forest and they live in harmony with the forest and they protect the creatures and the trees and the plants. Their herbal medicines kept them safe during COVID. They have everything that they need in that rainforest. They can live without this idea of development. So I was there to document their fight against Petro Peru and also against the financiers because Petro Peru doesn't have enough money to go in there and drill. They have to get money from Chase or Citibank or, you know, Wells Fargo or Goldman Sachs or any of those like, you know, culprits. <laughs> So they actually came to New York City. I think Another movie, The Usual Suspects. Anyway, go ahead. Right, right, right. The Usual Suspects, for sure. They came to New York City to try to protest and say to the bankers to sit down in meetings with these people and say directly to them, do not poison our forest. We will come at you with the worst PR campaign you've ever seen. We will smear you. We will tell the world what you're doing. They came to sit down and look in their eye. And the president of the, what's called FNAP, it's the Atuar Federation, and there's many different branches of the Atuar, many different communities. Each community has its own leadership. All of those leaders go to an assembly. But the president of FNAP, Nelson Yankur, was here in New York. I met with him. He invited me, along with Amazon Watch and some other groups, to come to their annual federation meeting where they were discussing all these issues. And Nelson, over the four years that he's been president, actually has fought off five different oil companies and has had a tremendous track record of success. And this is the latest one that he's trying to make sure. And Petro Peru is kind of a bad shape as a company. Without further investment, they might in fact collapse, which is something that the Atuar, I think, would celebrate, and so would we. So I went there to document that struggle, and it was an ex extraordinary, and it will be in the film, my film on climate refugees on HBO, which will probably come out early next year. And we have many, many other places to go. So I finished my shoot, and then I went back to Lima and I had a couple extra days. And I said, you know what? You've been to Peru before and you didn't go to Machu Picchu. You didn't go see the Incan ruins. Right. And I right. said, you, you gotta know, go. It. You gotta I just, do it. I, I'm going to regret it if I don't go. That's so right. I decided that like, you know what? I'm going to give it a whirl. And I got a 5 a.m. flight down to Cusco. And I was going to be there from like basically from 5 a.m. Tuesday morning until about 7 p.m. Wednesday night. Because Machu Picchu tours are only like two or three hours, right? That's all they give you. Yeah. So I was like, all right, this is cool. I can totally handle this. A friend of mine had told me to do this shamanic ritual. Basically, nothing with ayahuasca or any. No, I understand. Yeah, I, I read that in the piece. Right? Um, I, I mean, I think it would have been a very different piece had I done the, the ayahuasca. 
Um, but uh, yeah. anyway, that's not what this story is about. So I got there and I hadn't done my research. I didn't realize that Cusco was 12,000 feet elevation. Right. 12,000 feet elevation. is really high. So as soon as yeah. I got off the plane, I was about ready to pass out. I do not do well with elevation. I'm a sea level kind of guy, you know, from the Eastern seaboard, uh, you know, much of the time these days that's below sea level. Like I remember when I first got to Sundance film festival in, in 2010 with Gasland, yeah, I right. was sick the entire week. I was sick the whole week. No I couldn't, way. I, oh, I, I basically got my shit together to like do the screenings, but mm. the elevation was killing me. That must and, have real wow wow. And I made wow. it through, but it was I did it. You know, I didn't acclimate quickly. So when I got there, and it was this is five thousand feet higher. Yeah, I'm me. just thinking about that myself. I like, couldn't wait, walk wait. down the block. I was getting. I was like, I, I was in a panic. And the guy who was going to do the shamanic ceremony said to me, "No way, we're not going up the mountain to do the ceremony. We're going down. We got to get you lower elevation." So yeah. he said, "Let's go to the sacred valley. That's where you're going to get the tick the train." to Machu Picchu anyway. Machu okay. Picchu was lower. But the Sacred Valley, get this, they call it the Sacred Valley. It's 9,000 feet elevation. So still really high. <laughs> so I got there and I was like, so I was like... 4,000 feet more than Sundance. <laughs> right. And to make a long story short, I you know, had some of the most distressing parts of elevation sickness, nausea, dizziness, couldn't walk a straight line. I was freaking. So I said, go to bed. And now there, I knew that the president, Castillo, President Castillo, had been sort of deposed a couple of weeks earlier. And it was called the 20 minute coup. Like they were like, the president tried to shut down the Congress and they were like, get him out of here. And they arrested him. And there wasn't a lot of protest at the time. Why? Yeah, yeah. Why? He was oh, trying to make next- They were holding him, you know, they were charging him with corruption of some kind or another. Okay. Now, whether or not he's more corrupt then the people who put him in jail is something for somebody else to that, debate. That's a whole other discussion uh, right now. But yeah, the truth right. is that President Castillo was a poor campesino coming from the Andean region. He was thought of as really the first campesino president. And so in spite of the fact that he wasn't necessarily on great terms with anybody, the indigenous people, both the Andes and the Amazon, sort of claimed them as theirs. And he was a, ran on a leftist uh, platform. And so they saw this as the traditional oligarchy and the nouveau riche that have all made money off of what? Extraction from their regions, whether that was yeah, gold, right, oil, right. gold or copper. And extraction poisons the land. It poisons right. the water, it poisons right. the air. It makes it impossible to do subsistence farming because you have acid mine drainage going into your water supply. Right. So these poor campesinos decided we want to shut down the Congress. We want new elections immediately. They weren't exactly saying reinstate Castillo because they were sort of like, whatever with the guy. But okay. they were like, they shut down all the roads. So they, the train to Machu Picchu the very next morning was canceled. Oh my God. All of the roads were blockaded with huge boulders and people sitting there. No one could get in and out of anywhere. So here oh I am gosh. in a situation of 9,000 feet and I completely had no way out. And I experienced what all of the people who I've been covering kind of experienced. And it was a very valuable lesson. These were people who were displaced by climate change or they're at the border of the United States. They have no idea when or where they can go, when they can leave, 
when they're going to be able to ever go home or see their loved ones. And I, this was about, I don't know, two weeks before Christmas. And I was sitting there going, I'm not going to get home. And people were saying it might be three weeks. It might be 20 days into January. You know, before yeah, I was you, watching you, know, you throughout this, and I was like, when is he getting home? And I was just yeah. praying for you to get home, dude. Seriously, <laughs> I, I was watching you on Facebook and Instagram. I'm like, oh, but, my God. So I felt inconvenienced, and I felt very worried for my physical health. At the same time, these people are chanting, you know, unido, jamás vencido, the people united can never be defeated. Like these are, and they were campaigning for basic things. They wanted basic things. They wanted public health. They want the extractive companies to stop destroying their environment. Right. They want to stop the oil companies. They want to stop the copper companies. They want to, drilling. you know, they want to make sure that they have a life that they can live. And they were saying to the capital, we're where your food comes from. You know, and food prices were going way up for everybody and fertilizer prices were way up and they were getting squeezed from every angle. So basically, in support of these protests was the largest federations of indigenous people, the largest federation of union people and the largest federation of poor farmers. If those people are protesting, you're on their side. I'm on their side. (laughs) That's the way it goes. So in spite of the fact that I was like kind of freaking out, I was squarely on the side of the protesters. And the truth of the matter is, is these people have been protesting for, for years and years and years. And this is basically a struggle against neocolonialism. I think you said you know, 500 years in your Rolling Stone article? That they've been well, yeah, since Columbus. Yeah. So these yeah. indigenous people of the Americas, North and South America, have been invaded by European values. And those values are to exploit the land, to extract the land, to destroy the land for money. Not to live in harmony with it, not to live in balance with it, as the indigenous people do. Right. Right. That's right. the difference between those indigenous people and modern development society. Development is really just a code word for colonialism. Development means... Even Here's a question I had for you when I read your article and when I heard you re- talking about this. It was the first thing that came to my mind. What about the concept then of sustainable development? Well, is that still something you're not cool with? I, mean, I just want well, to understand. I, I think that the principle... Well, here's the thing. Let me just say that doing this project has revised my thinking quite a bit. I usually think about, or I think the whole world thinks about climate change as being caused by coal, oil, and gas emissions and emissions of greenhouse gases. Right, right. But the more I think about it, I realize that climate change is a thousand-year process into the future. And the roots of it start 500 years ago. The real cause of climate change is the displacement of indigenous people and the displacement of indigenous values. So... The first two things that have to be done if we're going to think about any... Also, their forests? Their forests? I think sustainable development is a bit of an oxymoron at this stage because we have to understand what we mean by development. What are we developing? Quite honestly, if we're developing our consciousness, then we're going to go do ayahuasca. If we're developing the health of the planet, then we're going to be listening to the indigenous people as we replant forests and cultivate forests. But the main thing that's different, I think is the idea that we as human beings are somehow separate from nature. Being separate from the forest, being of a different, like we, you know, the, uh, the definition of nature in the Webster's is everything except human beings. And actually it's everything as opposed to human beings, which is interesting. That's an opposition. interesting way of looking at it. But yeah. indigenous people, you know, don't believe that. So how could it be development if what you're doing is tearing things down, extracting resources, and so forth. 
what we have to think about as what are we developing is are we developing a sense of our own culture and our own history as a human race? Are we developing an understanding of ways that, of living that are better than extractive capitalism? So the question is, sustainable development means like we're going to buy electric cars or means we're going to buy paper straws or, you know, to me, this is like almost absurd because what we need to be talking about is how to restore, not develop, indigenous values. And the principal one being that we understand that we're not separate from nature. We are a part of nature. And if we think about that, you know, the city is no different than the forest at that point. Cities, water is poisoned. Cities, air is contaminated. But we wouldn't do that in the forest. So why are we doing it in the city? So what are we talking about in terms of development and sustainable development? If we talk about, like, we're just going to do the exact same system that abuses people and just switch the materials around or switch, like, you know, to solar panel powers or whatever. Right. Now, we have a climate crisis on our hands. We absolutely have to switch to renewable energy. No question. Yeah. No right. question. But it goes farther, much, much farther than that, which is to say that we have to start to understand that when we are working with indigenous values or values of the values of nature, the, the principles of nature, we are developing something different. And yeah. that what we are developing by heeding those principles is actually being destroyed by this other thing called development. Development, to me, in the article, and I say this in the article, is a set of blinders. Perfect. It's a, bl- a set of blinders to where the extractive materials are coming from. Absolutely. I deal with that with electric vehicles all the time. The electric car takes about two years to go carbon negative. So when you extract everything right. and, and whatever, it takes two years at 12,000 miles to go carbon negative. A gas car, you're never going to do that because you still have the constant refining, the constant drilling, the constant need for oil in these cars. Whereas with stationary sources, it's something different. Well, I'll go one step further. I'll get off at the depot, as every scratch on Marsh would say. I don't know why do we need cars. We I definitely need to get to a society where we're... Why can't uh, we reimagine what we're doing? Why do we need cars? I want to ask anybody who's watching this. I'm sure that you know somebody who was killed in a car crash. Oh, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. If you could have that person back and say, I will never step in a car ever again, you'd probably do it. Yeah. Beyond the human toll that is taken by cars, look at all the space in our world that is taken up by cars. That is violent and dangerous space. Now, I mean, in rural areas, it's difficult to get around without a car. However, it's not impossible. It's certainly much more, we have to have much more communal ways of transport. I love taking trains. I love, love, love bicycle. And by the way, those things keep me in much better shape than, uh, that's right. You know, using my toe to push a 4,000 piece of pound piece of steel down the street. Whether or not it's electric. And the problem with electric cars is that lithium is going to be a whole nother extractive war. So I am, yes, if you're going to have to have cars to make them electric or make them out of compressed, use compressed air as they were doing in India, which is also really interesting because compressed air is not a a lithium. But we, we are going in the wrong direction. We're trying to speed everything up. We need to slow everything down. When you slow things down, you create a better quality of life. And so I would just say, why do we need cars? Why can't we envision a situation where we don't have cars? We can do anything we want, right? We can. We can. Sure. It's just a question of will and how we make it happen. 
without question. It's, it's, well, it's, we're living it's, in a situation. We're living in a society that is completely addicted to really horrible things. Cars. Oh, for golf. sure. For sure. Not to say travel. Travel is wonderful. I love traveling. Yeah. You know, I have traveled all over the world. But I'll tell you, when you go to those towns in the Amazon, very few of them actually have any cars. They have these little tuk-tuk things that are, you know, they burn oil and gas. And you need stuff but, to get there, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, so. well, I mean, they, they're people, there's big boats and people <clears> there. Oh, okay. Okay. But what I'm trying to say, though, is that, like, we have a massive transformation in front of us. In terms of energy, wind and solar are pretty darn efficient. So that's amazing. That, and no we, question. And, and so are the heat pumps. We can get through the electricity cycle. Transportation is the hardest sector, but it's also the most selfish. Yeah, it is. So I, we should be, I mean, I'll tell you, when I take Amtrak, I used to take Amtrak across the country all the time, and I, I still love to do that from New York to L.A. It takes three days, which is ridiculous. It should take 12 hours. If we had high-speed rail. Well, we don't have high-speed rail, which is well, a whole other discussion. Yeah, we, we need high-speed rail. But the, but the point is that you have a wonderful experience with people. You sit down, communally, you eat together, you meet people you'd never meet before, most of That's whom right. are just terrified of flying. Um, so you already have this weird neurotic bond among people because they're, <laughs> they're, they're there because they're afraid. But you know what I mean? Like It's a beautiful and wonderful way to travel. And by the way, most of the world travels that way. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. We realized that that's a challenge, and that's something that we're going to have to talk about, in, in, or I'm going to talk about in the article that I write about your Rolling Stone piece. I just wanted to mention while we still had time, one of the things that I've done is, uh, well, that happened to me was this organization called Evertreen, which is helping to reforest the world. So I am working with that's Evertreen. That's so important. I think that's the most important thing, but we have to also make sure that we're not just reforesting in an ignorant way. We have to be working with the knowledge of the thousands of years of, in, of indigenous. Oh, I agree with you. Yes. And learning yes. that brought the forests to health. Our forests are not healthy right now. Actually, I'm trying right now to find a place to premiere my new film, which is before this film, called The Edge of Nature. The Edge of Nature is about me living in a one-room cabin for nine months during the beginning of COVID, trying to heal myself of long COVID, and also trying to understand the forest itself in Pennsylvania, oh. where I come from. In most of my films, and in most environmental films, nature actually takes a backseat. Nature is often marginalized because we want to focus on climate change, or we want to focus on fracking, yeah. or we want to focus right. on the issue, cancer right. allergy. But this film actually really tries to, to take a look at what, what is nature, and I'm really, really excited for it to come out into the world. It's very personal. I have not found a, a place for it to premiere yet, but I'm hoping that will happen in the next week or two. Oh, well, if you need help, let me do what I can because we have – the Pleasantville Movie Center here, too. Oh, that's fantastic. I would love to do as many grassroots screenings. And, and this is a film that I can also perform live, where I can do the voiceover live. Right, right. Um, yeah. So I'd love to do that. Uh, I'm just talking about, like, we're, we're trying to find a way to get into a major festival. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm just I'm just saying I'd love no, but to that's get great. That's totally Pleasantville. 100%. We're going to do a tour, as we do of all the films. And okay, I would love good, to, good, to go good. There. All right, great. But, yeah, I do and have been writing about for quite some time that and it's in tune with what you're saying that reforestation is going to help solve our problems and reforestation means that you're building the forests and the communities where these indigenous communities were in the first place so it's like you know reversing what we did yeah for generations that's, that's what are we reversing though? development development <laughs> right we 
think development is taking a forest and making it into a strip mall and filling that strip mall with places that used to with extractive pieces of things that used to be in another forest right in another forest what we need to do is develop we need to develop local economies we need to develop local food sources which are actually much more healthy anyway we need to to, and, and we need to develop ways of transportation that are not dependent on these giant hunks of on cars so yes those are things that we need to do and that is the idea of sustainable development i guess what i think of more than i don't like the word sustainable and i don't like the word development we have to come up with a different way to think about it <laughs> we I'm have to talk about reorganizing about it, reorganizing we have to reorganize you know yeah I mean? Regenerative. Um, we have to be regenerative. Right, there's circular economies and all that. Yeah. But we have to envision a society where there's no more cars. I mean, during the World War II, FDR went, gathered all the heads of the auto industry. They brought them all to the White House. And he said, well, we're going to need to use all the equipment in the auto industry to build the biggest war machine the world's ever known. So we have to stop Hitler. And the heads of General Motors and Ford and all the big auto companies just said, well, Mr. President, we're going to try, but it's going to be hard to do it while we're making all these cars. And FDR said, no, you don't understand. We're going to ban the sale of private automobiles in the United States. Now, we are facing an emergency that is far, even far graver than what was happening in World War II. We're facing the extinction of the whole planet. Right. So nobody wants to care about it whatsoever. They don't get it. I think people really care about it. I just think they don't feel they have any agency or empowerment. And part of the problem is that, you know, our system is so firmly entrenched with this idea of capitalism and development, and that's the road to a better world. But as Nelton, the president of the Atuar, says in my article, he says, you know, they think of us, meaning the extractive energy, the oil companies, think of us, the Atuar people, as poor, but they want what we have. That's right. That we have a way of life that sustains itself. We know how to heal our sick. We know how to be alive. And we have and health the as well. They want. Yeah. Health so is what. Yeah. Right. If we're poor, why do they want what we have? Right. Right. And I think everybody has a, in their lives a visceral connection to the forests, to the birds, to all things that are living. And yeah. we have separated cities from forests. Why are we doing that? We don't need to do that. The principal thing, the reason we do that, by the way, is cars. Yes. You know, the interstate system in the United States. For parking and all that kind of stuff, yeah. The interstate system in the United States was once a series of foot trails. The interstate system is based on foot trails that the indigenous people of this continent would use to get from place to place. All the way from Nova Scotia down to Argentina, there were foot trails. People could walk. There's a concept, folks. There's a concept. Yeah, and it and it would work. Yeah, you know, and there were now million trying to build other foot trails <laughs> versus using the foot trails that we had. We have foot trails. There's just cars on them. Yeah, right. I eighty seven, the Why BQE, not? all that stuff. So I mean, I'm harping on just the car part of it, but there's also other things, right? You know, where COVID took us a staggering leap in the wrong direction. People are not going to the theaters. People are not going to the movies. People are not doing communal things. They're staring at the phone all the time. And that is an extremely individual, isolating experience. 
So we have that, to find ways that, helps, that we come that together. That hurts the mental health, too, of the individual. Oh, absolutely. It hurts everybody's mental health. Yes. We right. have to find those ways where we come together again. That's why I love to tour my films, right? Um, and this new film about climate refugees, we're going to tour, and we're going to bring people together for that. But The Edge right. of Nature, and we're going to tour, and it has to be a participatory kind of event where I people agree. come together and we talk and we discuss the issues. We do the film, we do the performance, but the most important part is the moment when, we, when we're all in the same room together. And I really look forward to that. So yes, definitely Pleasantville or wherever. Where is Pleasantville? It's on Long Island, right? Westchester County. Oh, Westchester. Yeah, I used to teach at Sarah Lawrence. Oh, wow. I taught there for one semester. Yeah, uh, so it's a little bit north of Briarcliff Manor or around right. like Chappaqua, Pleasantville, yep. that area. So right. they have a great movie and they've done film festivals there themselves so um, well i would love to do it so anyone who's watching from i'll I'll connect you with them there's no question i'm going to connect you with them what we really need is not a connection with the theater we need local groups activist groups Mm -hmm. who want to put the event together so i'm a member of the uh, briarcliff sustainability committee so there you go Yeah, so when we come out with the film, we will put out an email through our our list, and you can sign up at josh-fox.ghost.io. We put out a call that says, who wants us to come? And we find a way to come for free. We either do Kickstarter or we raise money from grants, and we do not charge the activist groups. We say, you raise money off of us. We're going to show up with the performance or the film and give a chance to have an event. We've done 600 different events in that way with Gasland, Gasland Part 2, How to Let Go of the World, and Awake. And the truth has changed also. More than 600. I think it may be 700 or 800 at this point. All across the world for the last decade. And some of those are really big events where there's 1,000 people, 2,000 people. Some of them are 20 people. Well, we're you know what I mean? Make sure we get you a lot of people because I also have Austin. This one was a great too, though. They would love to see this movie and love to meet you. Oh my gosh! I, I'm thinking of all the organizations in my area. When I when they hear about your movie, when it comes out, and that we could do something, they're going to be like, I I would love to do. That. <laughs> That's, this is our this is our mo. We put our films out. We try to get a big distributor, um, whether that's HBO or Netflix. Congratulations. Or, um, we try really hard to do that. But the most important part is not that. The most important part are our grassroots tours where we head out on the road, just me and a small group of people usually, connect with the local activists, show the film, talk about the local issues, inspire people, get people matriculated into the organizations, yep. get people dancing, get people eating, get people happy. We're going to do it, man. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. You're going to I really appreciate it. that. And I've always, since the first time I saw you on Morning Joe to the time I met you, then a week or so after at the EMAs, I've always believed and loved your movies and uh, yes there was Gasland too and the other movies that you've done that I can't wait to see as well that are you said that you have another one that's just coming out now soon well the edge of nature the edge of nature hopefully we will find a a home okay we have not been successful so far in finding a, a a festival to premiere the film once we secure that, whether that's Tribeca or Washington DC Environmental Film Festival you'll, or Niki, yes. yes. we once we do that, we will open it up to to the world, and we okay. will get uh, we'll get that rolling, and then we'll start the tour. But that film is ready; it's finished, um, right. and we're just waiting to find. We need we want a, we want a festival that will help us premiere it, so that we build up a little um, 
buzz and stuff. And then we're going to try really hard to get it on HBO or on one of the streaming platforms. But Good. that's always difficult. The film about climate refugees, that's already an HBO project for next year. So there are these two other films that are coming soon. And, you know, whether or not you see it on HBO and then we have conversations or you, or we bring it to your town, if you're watching this broadcast and you're interested in that, go to joshfoxfilm.com, sign up for our mailing list, or get a subscribe a subscription, which has all sorts of wonderful perks, all the films, lots of interviews that I do, short films, all that kind of stuff, at josh-fox.ghost, like Casper the... Yeah, Casper the... And we're going to add this link on to everywhere that this is streaming, Josh. The link will be in the description. Okay, so So anybody who's... I'll put it in the chat for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, we're good. Yeah, but I'm just saying that that, uh, we will make sure that this info does get out to the people. Josh underscore. No, it's not underscore. Whoops, I made that wrong. Josh hyphen Fox. Oh, hyphen, not underscore. Okay. I I got that wrong. There it is. Um, All right. I'm going to take a picture right now, which I just did. Took a picture. Perfect. (laughs) Well, I want to ask you before we get off, what do you think of a sustainable development? I do not think it is what right now being defined as. When I remember sustainable development, when I studied it, it was mm-hmm. trying to be as circular and as sustainable with our energy and as getting away from fossil fuels, getting a high-speed rail. I mean, mm-hmm. I've always told people, and I've said it, I'll say it again, and I'll say it here. I would love to go to Manhattan, get on a high-speed train, and just as long as it takes me to get my plane, I would love to then high-speed rail to Cali. Mm, sure. Versus flying any day of the week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that I wanted that. Mm. You know, I want to be able to, like the Japanese do, to just take off on a bullet train and be somewhere. Oh, or yeah. Miami or go to Texas or go anywhere oh, sure. on a train. I don't need a plane. There's no need. So I think that we... But I also have to think about what are we doing? What are we when we develop? I'm sorry. Let me just say I'm with you that we need to look at the definition that the UN and these other multilateral national organizations have defined it, and it needs to be redefined. I am with you there, and I think that which is I'm grateful for in this conversation is I'm not the only one that feels that. (laughs) I felt it for quite some time that they are just taking it in this other direction that it's just mm. not it's just not and i would like it to be well more it's become of, about like paper versus plastic straws you know it's yeah. become about what is your personal carbon footprint which is an idea that was brought to us by bp so that they could get us not thinking about what bp's carbon <laughs> footprint was but what our our individual that's not what what this is because this is a team sport you know right. this is um so when we think but but I also have to think, I have to ask this question. People are like, well, I can't walk that far. I'm like, yeah, but why can't you? <sighs> you can't walk that far because of your car, not because of your body. Your body is designed to walk coast to coast between when you're three years old and when you're 80 years old, even beyond. Like when I was in the Andes, I, was, I did eventually get out and get to the shaman. The shaman of was course, seven, right. seven years yeah. old. And he scampered up the side of the mountain faster than, you know. Um, 
Insane. Whoa, there he goes. Seven Insane. Right, yeah. User, it's, it's called use it or lose it, baby. If you don't take care of yourself, and part of the, the disease that we have oh, is that we sit around all the time, yeah. and we should be walking, biking, you know what I mean? So five, we don't think, don't think yeah. of the world as like, oh my God, I could never do without my car. Think of what the car has done to your body. Think yeah. about that. Think about what the food we eat has done to our our hearts, food, our, our food. <laughs> Think about all the plastic that's in the atmosphere. Think about how this in, is in actually water, doing us harm. In everything. Plastic it's is everywhere. Us, it's doing us harm. And so when we think about what we want to develop, let's develop our muscles, let's develop our brains, let's develop our spirits, let's develop our hearts. Let's develop our values and our, and our capacity for generosity and our capacity for empathy. Let's make sure we develop those things rather than the latest I, I I'm yeah yeah I mean I have so look I I have a very modest house but I have solar energy storage because I'm do, trying to do my part okay but there's so many people that don't GAF and there's so many people that just um uh there's just so many people that don't see it um, how hard is it for people in my community to understand, especially these parents or older people that are conservative, right? How hard is it to remember there was winter here one time? Oh, God. Yeah, well, that, that's another thing. But, but even just thinking about, I, I think the most effective, and we did this with Gasland, and this will be the last thing I've got, I can say, but yeah. the most effective strategy was telling people that their children were going to be harmed, which is, of course, the truth. Yeah. The truth is that frack, you know, it's like this thing says. Look at the fracking, fracking situation in Gasland. Fracking was bad. To the fracking water, man. Jeez. The, the chemicals were bad for children. Well, right now, there's nothing worse for children than, than climate change. And so we have to hope that people, and, and also people can't, can't be selfish we have to be able to we have to develop generosity and empathy and how to take care of each other again how to take care of each other yeah as a community yeah. as people as yeah. a family you know family Capitalism units used to stick to together and stuff other. like that you yeah. know this system teaches us to compete with each other yeah um, that yeah. is even family we... members go at it each other it's like oh absolutely oh it, yeah it goes completely against you have to unlearn that we have to unlearn yeah. that well, that's all part of the, uh, the, the relearn individual that is, responsibility and all that stuff. But that so. is only that is the cause of climate change. Yeah. When I say we displace ourselves from indigenous values, we have all had those values at different times in, our, in the histories of all of our cultures, and that has what's been underdeveloped within us. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Fox, the man, you, the Seth. myth, the legend, and I'm grateful that you took the time to to speak to me. While you're filming this and putting this together before it comes that's, out, that's that's, that's that's a treat to my viewers. That's a treat to the world, and I can't be more grateful, Josh. God bless you. Thanks, keep brother. keep going on and keep on, and we will uh, get this out. I have the website or the email for people to sign up for you. We will Wonderful. get that into the description for everybody, and I will make sure to do my yeah. part to get yeah. the word out for you. Check it out, Josh. Uh, josh-fox.ghost.io all, all, all of my uh, films are there um, that you can watch for free when you sign up 
uh, interviews that I do with incredible folks. We just did an interview with George Monbiot. We just did interviews with um, just incredible. I mean, there's hundreds of interviews that I've done with extraordinary people, um, uh, long form. And there's uh, short films there. Um, there's a, there's a lot of wonderful stuff there. So just check it out. I'm it's, signing it's, up too now. I'm signing up. You can sign up for free, but why not just give us five dollars a month because we could use that. I'd be more than glad to. It's a lot better than doing it to the big boxes. Oh, a lot hi. better. Thank you, thank you. Local All right, I, I have to run up getting work. a call, but I, 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 I really appreciate you, Seth, and thank you so My much. My pleasure, Josh. God bless. Keep it on. And we, ladies and gentlemen, Josh Fox, Green Living Guys, one small step at a time. Today's is to go into the description of this podcast and click on and sign up for Josh Fox's info so that you can see all of his stuff and you can get ready for the movies that are coming and about to come. All Thank right. you. Thanks, man. Have a good one, man. You we'll take- Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Green Living Guy Show with your host, Seth Lightman. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.